Alright, welcome back students. Let's now have Lecture 16 Introduction to Homer's Odyssey, books 22, 23, slides 288 to 309. Remember where we were last time? Vengeance on Antinous is Odysseus's in the disguise of Ithon the Beggar. He was given the chance to string the boat. He did it with ease. Much stronger than Eurymachus, much stronger than Leodes, much stronger even than Telemachus at this point. He then shot the arrow through 12 holes and 12 axes. And then he stood up and he took aim at Antinous, who was drinking a goblet at that particular moment, and shot him in the throat. Blood spurt out of his throat in a pressurized fashion. And then Antinous, in sort of a wasteful, egregious, very symbolic death, then kicks the table uh, that was right next to him and knocks the food off. Even in his death, so does he represent his life as a pure waste. A waste of other men's things, too, because that food, that wine, which spills to the ground, is, of course, not his, but Odysseus, who has struck him down. And so it's his food to waste, and uh, as he wastes Antinous. In any case, here we are. Review. Penelope set the test for the suitors. Telemachus buries the axes and presents the bows, or the bow. Telemachus tries three times, but on the fourth he would have succeeded, but for a look from Odysseus in the disguise of I. Thon, Leodes tries, fails, laments, losing Penelope, Antinous thinks to cheat, has Melanthios heat and oil the boat. Eurymachus fails, sad for being so much weaker than Odysseus, thinks there are plenty of fish in the sea. Odysseus then strings and shoots the bow, shoots Antinous through the throat. Oh yeah, and this very interesting note. Of course, the, uh, the suitors, being so mindless as they are, don't even realize the situation they find themselves in. One of their number is killed explicitly by uh, and intentionally by Odysseus, and they think it's an accident. They say, oh, that was a terrible thing that you just did. Fools don't even recognize what's happening right in front of them. Very similar to uh, Polyphemus, who does not recognize what is right in front of him in the present danger that it presents to him in the form of Odysseus. I expected a taller man. You, you'll probably notice as you watch and read more and more stories as you go on that a very common thing to say to somebody to denigrate them is, I thought you'd be taller when you meet the hero. In fact, I was watching The Mandalorian yesterday, and he was with this uh, surly crew of degenerates, and there was a large red creature with horns, looked very much like a devil, and even was uh, not subject to flames, and he said, huh, thought you'd be taller. He's eventually defeated, of course, by the Odyssean-like Mandalorian, whose face you never see, because his face is whose face? All of yours. All of yours. That's right, because you put yourself in the place of the hero when you read the story. In any case, Odysseus names himself, and it's time to get to fighting. All right, uh, but just before we get to fighting, remember that a weaselly little Eurymachus is going to try and weasel his way out of this, uh, because he is sort of a weasel, which means that he, he uses conniving and trickery to get his way, rather than uh, strength and nobility of character. In any case, he blames Antinous, who is now dead for the plot on Telemachus' life. This is very... Uh, sort of cruel. This is the opposite of how you are supposed to speak of the dead. You speak well of the dead because they cannot defend themselves. And, and they can't do anything uh, good anymore in order to uh, sort of improve their reputations. That said, Eurymachus immediately tries to pin the blame on uh, Antinous. If Odysseus blames Antinous, then killing Antinous will, uh, will uh, uh, how do I say, um, will satisfy justice, will satisfy the zinnia. Then only one person has to die then Eurymachus does not have to die. Obviously, uh, Odysseus knows that Eurymachus is attempting to divert the blame from himself so that he does not have to receive his punishment, his punishment of treason and of trespassing on the Zinnia and therefore of death. And so uh, Odysseus does not accept this argument. Um, he says, not 
for all your father's possessions. I like that it's your father's possessions, not your possessions, of course. Uh, not for all the cars your father lets you drive. <laughs> There's an old song, I Don't Want No Scrub, which uh, would say, uh, uh, hanging out the passenger side of your best friend's ride, trying to holla at me, the idea being that your best friend has a nice car and you sit in the passenger side and you try and act like you're big and tough, but it's in fact your best friend who, uh, and probably your best friend's parents that have it made, not you. Uh, and so, uh, Odysseus says, I don't want your father's possessions or anything. I would like something, uh, that I can only take from you. I would like your life, in fact. And so, Eurymachus then tells the suitors to draw their swords, take cover behind a table, and to charge Odysseus and the doors. But remember, they're not exactly a, a coherent, strong fighting force. They don't necessarily trust each other. They don't necessarily work well together, and they're not exactly in training, and they've never faced someone like Odysseus, who has defeated another trained people who are fighting for their own homeland and killed them. No, they have never seen anything like Odysseus before. This is a major shock for them, like a thunderbolt from Zeus is coming down and slowly uh, shocking them all to death. Odysseus shoots him in the liver. And something interesting about the liver is uh, it has an interesting and long, long history, but there's a reason why it's called the liver. Uh, it's, it was considered by ancient people the seat of life, and so it, your liver makes you live. And, uh, well, so keep your livers clean. Make sure that uh, once you're past 21, that you don't get cirrhosis of the liver, which is a, 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 de a degeneration of the liver caused often by alcoholic consumption. So no elpinorine, no uh, 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 cyclopsy or polyphemacy, uh, acting like polyphemus. In any case, Eurymachus dies loudly just as he lived loudly. And Amphinomus. Now, we remember Amphinomus. He was a bit kind to Odysseus. He... He's also the one that didn't want to try and ambush or kill Telemachus without a sign for the gods. Uh, he's the one that Odysseus had hoped, perhaps you could get away from here and go uh, live a life. But remember that it was Athena who had turned his heart or kept him here. Well, Amphinomus now charges for his life against Odysseus, and he is struck in the back by a spear by Telemachus. And I want you to note this. This is the first time, and we've seen so many first times for Telemachus, that he kills a man. We've seen the first time that he's visited by Athena. We've seen the first time that he meets uh, Menelaus, Helen of all people, uh, and uh, also makes a friend, Theoclymenus, or excuse me, and also makes another friend, um, uh, Pisistratos, and meets Nestor. We've also seen the first time that people tried to kill him in an ambush, and the first time, of course, that he saw his father. Um, but now this is the first time that he's killed there uh, may be some basis now for interpreting Odysseus, or excuse me, Telemachus now, as a full grown-up, as a full man. Perhaps uh, you have to take life as a warrior in this martial culture in order to uh, know your strength and prowess. Perhaps, perhaps it's a little bit different. Odysseus perhaps became, uh, initiation rituals, uh, they diverge through throughout cultures. But uh, whether he is now a man or not, or was earlier, is subject to your interpretation. In any case, this was the first kill for Telemachus. Now, while Odysseus holds his position, there are many suitors in this great hall, and the door is definitely locked, so a fight is happening. Telemachus is ordered to get more weapons and armor for Eumaeus, Eloitius, and Odysseus. Remember, there are only four of them versus 108 suitors. Now they're down to 105. Now, Telemachus does this. He goes to a storeroom and he gets armor and uh, weapons for Odysseus, Eumaeus, and Philoetius, and this is good. But there is one tiny mistake he makes, and so perhaps this argues against Telemachus being a fully formed adult, or perhaps it shows you what an adult is. Um, Telemachus fails to fully 
close the door. Perhaps you've done this with your refrigerator door before, and your parents got quite upset with you and said, energy doesn't grow on trees. And uh, you say, you might have said something like, well, doesn't energy cause trees to grow? And they say, that's not the same thing. And, uh, well, he leaves the door slightly ajar, slightly unlocked, which means that somebody from the enemy side, somebody like Melanthios, it will be Melanthios, will be able to get into that weapon storeroom and acquire weapons for the enemy side. It's a big mistake by Telemachus. It seems like a very small mistake just to leave a door slightly ajar, and yet it is a big mistake on his part. It lets the suitors survive far longer than they otherwise would. In any case, all these, before that happens, Eumaeus, Philoetius, and Odysseus all armed, and they, they look equally splendid. The war god sees all equally. The war god does not see whether you are king or lord or suitor or serf. The war god says, you are a human full of uh, flesh and blood, and you can easily be stabbed and then die and then glut my appetite. And that is how Ares sees uh, all people. In any case, Melanthios, or rather, as Eumaeus takes position at a side door, we think nobody can escape, except for there are some vents running through this ancient uh, Ithacan home. And Melanthios happens to climb through these vents. And then he gets to the weapon storeroom door, and it's still ajar. And he goes in there, and he gets weapons, and he furnishes those weapons to the suitors. He is a total traitor. Even seeing Odysseus back home, he still decides to serve the suitors. And, well, we will see if he gets what he deserves at the end of all of this. In any case, Odysseus suspects treachery. He thinks... What is it? How is it that these suitors have now gotten these weapons? Is it the serving maids? Is it Eurycleia? Is it Penelope? Who has given them these weapons? And uh, uh, Telemachus does something that's very mature. He knows that the blame is on him. He sees that somebody else could take the blame. He doesn't accept that outcome. He says, ah, uh, uh, no, sorry, Father, it was me. I, I didn't quite close the door entirely. I, uh, it was my mistake. And Odysseus says, we don't have time uh, to uh, get into this too much. We need to keep fighting, but thank you for letting me know, in any case. Uh, more of the fighting, more of the fighting, more of the fighting. In any case, now, Eumaeus and Philoetius see uh, Melanthios go through the vents in order to get weapons again. He wants to get more weapons and more armors for, or more armor for the suitors. The, more, uh, the better outfitted they are, the more likely they are to defeat these four men who are attempting to kill them. Now, Odysseus sends Eumaeus and Philoetius to deal with him. What do I mean deal with him? Well, what he is supposed to do, or what they are supposed to do, is to put him out of commission. So I suppose they could knock him out, they could kill him, but what they decide to do is they decide to string him up with strings. Sort of like what happened between Ares and Aphrodite when they shouldn't have been uh, in bed together uh, and they got caught by the web of Hephaestus. Well, what happens here with Melanthios is he literally gets strung above the ground and is hanging off the ground, and incapable of getting out of it. He's sort of like a bug caught in a spider's web. Um, and he's very much like a bug caught in a spider's web at this point. In any case, these two then return to defend their position. There will be no Melanthius acquiring weapons and armor for the suitors anymore. That is a good outcome uh, for the moment. Athena then shows up. She's in disguise. She is mentor, as she often is when she uh, shows herself to Odysseus. And actually, it's funny... Uh, um, the suitors yell at her, and they're like, oh, you'll get it after we're done with this fight, mentor. You just wait. And it's like, I, I think you just wait, suitors, because there will be no after this fight for not even a single one of you. In any case, she rouses the fighting spirit of Odysseus, just like sort of uh, Poseidon would rouse the spirit of the Achaeans, even though he wasn't supposed to, in the middle books of the Iliad, books 12 through 15 or so. And uh, uh, But she doesn't yet give Odysseus victory. And note that consistent theme throughout the Odyssey. 
The gods do not do things for you that you can do yourself in the Odyssey. They perhaps suggest the right course of action. They perhaps help you get what you want, like giving you moly to keep you from transforming into an animal with Circe, or helping give you direction through a city of the five kings, but they don't do it for you. Athena does not fight for Odysseus or Telemachus. The idea is that if you want something in this world, who's got to do it? You's got to do it. And that is, uh, that is an ancient story. Uh, perhaps a correct story. In any case, as they fight, Amphimedon, notice that he is not the same person as Amphimedon. Amphimedon will be the uh, soul that talks down in Book 24 to Agamemnon and Achilles and relates uh, how the suitors all died. <laughs> well, he strikes Telemachus on the wrist, and ah, yes, this is a theme that we have not really seen in the Odyssey, but that we recall from the Iliad. Do you recall the theme that when a minor character strikes and injures a major character, that minor character is then killed by that major character or a different major character? Everybody remember this? Remember, uh, what was the name of that guy? Ooh, I'd be so impressed if somebody remembered this. What was the name of the first guy that struck, uh, the first mortal man who struck Patroclus in the back? Anybody remember this? His name was Euphorbus. Anybody remember who killed him in the very next book? It was Menelaus. It was Menelaus. It didn't even take 50 lines. It didn't even take 50 lines. Well, let's see what happens here. Amphimedon strikes Telemachus on the ridge. Or ridge. Wrist. It is, a, it is a small flesh wound, as we would call it. It means it does, it's not a substantial wound. doesn't get a lot of blood. doesn't do a lot of damage, uh, structural damage. And uh, then Ctesippus, the guy who threw the, uh, threw the footstool, or sorry, the hoof, the ox hoof, at Odysseus but missed him and created quite the clatter. Um, these guys, he injures uh, Eumaeus in the shoulder. But again, it's just a scratch. So these are sort of weak wounds. These are sort of weak men. Well, what happens then? Telemachus gets direct vengeance on the man who struck his rich am, or wrist, Amphimedon, and kills him. And then Philoetius kills Ctesippus. And this is a moment that I love quite some bit. Remember that Ctesippus had said, here's your guest gift, uh, beggar. I'll throw this ox hoof at you. Well, apparently uh, Philoetius has heard of this, and that upset him quite a bit seeing that. Because he says, here's your guest gift, Ctesippus. How about some spear in your stomach? Mmm, tastes good, doesn't it? Oh, you can't taste it because you're dead. Uh, and it didn't go through your mouth. But you're still dead, and you can't hear me, so maybe I'm crazy. In any case, that is the guest gift that Ctesippus receives. That is, uh, the, that is the cost, or perhaps the reward for the zinnia that he showed to this poor beggar. Perhaps he should have uh, chosen his actions more wisely. Um, in any case, Athena then waves the Aegis. And what does this mean exactly? Well, remember that the Aegis is a buckler. It's a shield that has uh, a face of a gorgon on it. That's like Medusa's face with those crazy snakes coming out, out of her hair. When a god, w whether it be Zeus or Athena, it is generally Athena, waves that buckler in front of people, it terrifies them. When they get terrified, they scatter. And when they get scattered, they're easier to kill. Because if there are 50 people who are motivated to kill you and work together, and there are only four of you, well, that's a bad situation. But if there are 50 people who are broken into, say, 10 segments who are not working together, then you're just killing one at a time, two at a time, five at a time. Much easier for you to uh, get about your father's business, as it were. And so, Athena waves the Aegis. And this means terrible things for the suitors because they are scattered. It will still be Odysseus and Telemachus and... Philoetius and uh, Eumaeus, who do the killing them. Leodes then begs for his life. Remember Leodes. He was the first man to attempt to uh, string the bow, and his hands got ruined. So he must not be very useful during this fight. And he was like, oh no, I'm so sad that I don't get Penelope. So many years I've come here, and every day I've wanted this one thing just to have my hopes 
dash, dash, dash. Well, Odysseus denies his request. And in fact, he strikes off the head, he cuts off the head of Leodes while he is still speaking, in the same way that Diomedes cut off the head of Dolon in Book 10 of the Iliad while he was still speaking. Access denied. Request denied in the blind. All right. And so then the fight starts to end. It starts to wrap up. The suitors are being killed. They are being killed uh, quickly. They are done for. And now it is time for us to judge some of the servants. Have they been loyal or not? And so we see Phineas. He's a singer. He's a rhapsode. He's very much like Demodocus from the Phaeacians who knew so many wonderful songs for us about Odysseus and Achilles getting into a fight about Ares and Aphrodite and a third one that's not coming to my mind at this moment. I'll have to remember it later. In any case, Telemachus says, showing his mercy rather than his justice, we need to spare Phineas. He was just singing for the suitors. They would get drunk. They would ask him to sing. He, did, he was just doing his job. He didn't do anything to help them. He didn't have any love for them. He was just a functionary. It'd be like, uh, you know, so Germany obviously invaded France and Paris and occupied Paris during World War II. It would be like if you were the piano player at a bar and you played for the German Nazis. Uh, are you... Should you stop doing that and say, like, potentially be killed, or should you just keep on doing that during that time? Are you sort of an innocent collateral damage? That's sort of the idea here behind Phineas. He just kind of kept doing what he did, because what could he do? Um, which is uh, probably, it was probably a very difficult situation for him. In any case, Telemachus says, spare him. He's on our side. Also, the herald Medon, who has actually helped Odysseus and his family out. Remember that he gave some special information about the ambush uh, uh, to Penelope about the suitors. He told them that they were attempting to ambush Telemachus. So he's on the side of the family. And so that will uh, save his life right now. In any case, this is a picture of Phineas begging for his life. You see he looks like a rock star. Look, he looks sort of feminine, has long hair like that. Uh, the idea of a rock star. Uh, touched by Apollo. And then there's uh, Telemachus stay in the hand of his father. Very mature move there. Don't execute father. Show mercy rather than uh, pure justice in this case. All right, you're a clam is then summoned. And, oh, yeah, very interesting. She is summoned to give judgment, to pass judgment, on the serving maids. Now, so, recall that Odysseus, while clasping the throat of Eurycleia, had said, mm, I don't need you to give me your judgment on the serving maids. I'll, I will make that judgment myself. Well, apparently, after Eurycleia kept her mouth shut about his scar and then barred the doors and kept the serving maids away during the battle, the, the, the melee, in fact, um, uh, Odysseus has now developed his trust for her, reignited his trust for her. He will take her word. And in fact, he says, ha ha, uh, or rather, Eurycleia says, 12 out of your 50, 6 25ths, that's over 25% of your serving maids, have uh, become disloyal. They lie with the suitors, and they have taken the side of the suitors against your family. And uh, Odysseus actually gives Telemachus explicit instructions then to have these women put to the sword, have their heads cut off. Um, but Telemachus, uh, he, he changes. People make a big deal out of this, and perhaps with good reason. Telemachus changes the punishment. He decides explicitly that no, no good death or no man's death should be given to these women. So he actually decides to, um, to hang them instead, which is apparently not a very uh, martial sort of death. And uh, I, I will mention that, and I think I have another slide on this thing. Weird sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah. So I, I, I'll put it like, I'll put it like this. So Euryclea, Euryclea is summoned to pass judgment. Twelve out of fifty are, uh, uh, are, um, disloyal. Okay, so this is what happens, and I want you to notice how in our Californian language how gnarly 
this is. So, Odysseus commands Eumaeus, Philoetius, and Telemachus to help the serving maids clean up the dead mess. And uh, then he wants them to behead the immoral and the unfaithful ones. So I want you to just think about this situation. This, uh, this great hall is full of blood and dead people. And these serving maids have to come in and clean this up. So it's quite a party that they have to clean up after. Now, 12 of these serving maids are not just cleaning up dead men, but dead lovers, their boyfriends. They're cleaning up the dead bodies and body parts of their lovers. And they're doing this right before they're going to be killed. So the last thing they ever get to do is to think about the choices they've made while uh, being obviously very sad about the men that were once going to give them a new life who now don't have life at all, don't have any life to offer them, uh, not even to themselves, in fact. And so uh, that, that's the last thing that these serving maids get to do right before uh, the end of their life. And so Telemachus decides he's not going to um, give them a noble or a manly or a heroic uh, death. He is going to hang these women. And, and they're described very gruesomely as kicking until they stop kicking, like a, like a bird uh, that flaps. Uh, and I, I think if you've ever seen like a bug die in the water, it's probably pretty similar to that. It's kicking, it's kicking, it's kicking, bam, it's gone. And uh, that, those are they. Melanthios. Now, I want you to understand the symbolic nature of Melanthios's execution. Most executions, many executions, are in some way symbolic. Like you cut off someone's head, the idea was that the choices that their head did them no good during the course of their lives, that they did not think with it, or that they themselves attempted to uh, go after uh, 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 an authority that was above their station. Like, if you cut off the head of somebody, perhaps they went for the head of something. Like, these people who went for uh, uh, Odysseus's rank of king. Now, what happens to Melanthios is, as a traitor, what does a traitor do? Well, they try to sow discord. They try and split people into parts. So what's a, what is a symbolic way to kill a traitor? Well, you split them into parts. You take parts of them off. And so what is done to Melanthius? Exactly what was threatened to be done to Odysseus and also to Eros by King Echetos. In fact, it shows you that uh, how far from home do you have to go for, to see cruelty? You don't, because you're the cruelest creature on earth. Because you're a human, and you have an intellect, and you're very creative. And so what is done to Melanthius, who decided to help the suitors? And was so cruel to Odysseus so many times thought himself essentially invulnerable through his actions. Well, he has his nose cut off. He has his ears cut off. His hands cut off. His feet cut off. I was thinking the feet's got to be the gnarliest one. Like, what do you even do? They didn't have wheelchairs at that time. And he also has his genitalia cut off. He has just about everything that extends from the body, for a man, uh, cut off. Um, and uh, <laughs> that's all they say. He has all of that cut off. I imagine he's left to bleed to death um, afterwards, but he probably does survive for uh, a good uh, couple minutes, um, thinking about his choices and all the things he can never do, like uh, grab a drink of water, go for a walk, uh, use the restroom in a normal way. Uh, no, sorry, Melanthius, and that's how he dies. And that's what he gets. And the story is, you better stay loyal to the right people. Otherwise, tremendous consequences. All right, there we go. So, you're a clam. She runs up to tell Penelope, the greatest news that could ever be given to Penelope. I mean, I want you to think about this. When Penelope goes to bed, it's just another night. She cries herself to sleep. Her son's probably going to get messed up or killed by these suitors. She's probably going to have to marry one of these terrible suitors who's, who can't even string a bow like Odysseus, can't shoot arrows through it. They're, they're nothing compared to him. And she's going to have to wake up to this terrible situation again. And yet, no. When she wakes up this time around, her husband will have returned. He will be victorious. The suitors will all be dead. And her son will have the life that he was meant to have 
Uh, and all she had to do was effectively nothing. All she had to do was wait. But uh, not I don't mean to say that as if waiting or being patient is easy. It's perhaps the hardest thing in the world. I mean, a big question I used to ask during seminars is who suffers more during the course of the Odyssey? Odysseus or Penelope? And people often are very divided on that. Some people taking Team Penelope. In fact, I had a student who wore, <laughs> like, all semester long after, after, uh, after that seminar, she wore a piece of paper uh, that said Team Penelope for the rest of the year. And, uh, you know, so people get very incensed about that sort of thing. Is being patient and waiting on somebody the worst possible torture, or is physical torture, emotional torture, um, and uh, uh, even physical transformation torture as bad as having to wait around? Who knows? In any case, Euryclea runs to tell Penelope the suitors are dead, and then Odysseus has returned, and this is the best news that Penelope could ever hear. But remember, Penelope's not really ready to hear this sort of news. She didn't really believe the beggar when the beggar, who was Odysseus, said, uh, your husband is already back, and uh, give me a mantle and tunic if you see him. And uh, the suitors are going to be dealt with. Even your own dream said this, with uh, 20 geese being killed by the eagle, and the eagle interpreted itself to be Odysseus. And yet, and yet, so Penelope, when Euryclea tells her all this, she says, you're crazy, old woman. And you know, I would actually chastise you much worse than this if I did not have so much love for you because you're so old. You can't be waking me up in the middle of the night and telling me nonsense. Euryclea says, listen, woman. This is actually happening. I am not dreaming. You are not dreaming. This is reality. And Penelope is like, what? She springs from bed, still in disbelief. And you've got to imagine how disoriented she is. This is not her life. Her life has become a life of sadness and misery for 20 straight years. It's not like you can just all of a sudden flip a switch and all of a sudden you're happy again. It's like, hi, uh, Life is a little more complicated. You're a little more complicated than that. You get into habits of doing things. And, you know, this is why it's hard to lose weight. You've got to change the bad habits that made weight gain. You can't just, like, lose weight. I mean, you know, it's not magic. In any case, uh, Penelope springs from bed and she says, well, uh, uh, she can't accept it all at once. She needs pieces, pieces, pieces. I don't know if you've ever seen, uh, like, a movie or a show where someone has amnesia and they wake up and someone's like, oh, easy, easy, take your time. We, got, we just have a few things we'll tell you that... Once, and then they find out, like, they're actually in, like, it's like a thousand years later than they expected, and it drives them crazy. Well, she's disoriented. In any case, the suitors might have died from their own recklessness, but Odysseus, he's still dead. I'm, I'm happy the suitors are gone, but uh, it couldn't be Odysseus. And you're a cloud, you just have to imagine she's, like, slapping her. She's like, no, no, she, he is back. I saw the scar. I saw the scar. The scar is proof. But now he's Oh my Zeus. So then, Penelope, she gets up. She does her hair. She, she, she's coming down the stairs. But what is she coming down the stairs to? She's coming down to see this man who claims to be her husband for the first time in 20 years. And how does she see him? He's covered in blood. <laughs> He's covered in blood. And he doesn't quite look so great yet because his, his uh, appearance still hasn't been changed by Athena. So he, he looks like this bloody, sort of nasty beggar. It, he looks to Penelope right now very much like how he would have looked originally to Nasica. Uh, ah, ah, you're a man who's just done some men's work, and men's work is dirty, dirty work. And uh, so she thinks about running and kissing this uh, so dirty beggar, uh, but she also thinks about testing him first. It shows that circumspect is very much a good epithet for her. She's thoughtful. She doesn't just run up to him. She thinks about what to do. Should she test him? Is this the sort of thing that Odysseus would do? I think very much clearly. She is thoughtful just as he is thoughtful. They are very similar to each other. In fact, there's a word in the Greek that is homophronesis, which means they share one mind. Homo, one, phronesis, mind. Uh, it's where we get the word frenetic or frantic from, when you are out of your mind. 
In any case, Telemachus can't bear the tension. He yells up at his mother. He's watching his mom. He's watching his dad. He's like, just come together. It's sort of like when my little dog sees uh, my fiance and I having a conversation. She starts to look at us and she's like, you should be on the couch petting Layla, which is her name. And she's like, you should be there. And we should be a family together right now. And I'm like, okay, little dog. And that's what Telemachus is doing right here. Um, he can't bear the tension. He admonishes the iciness of his mother. He's like, what are you doing, Mom? This is exactly what you wanted, and you're not coming down. Women are still very strange to Telemachus. He has very little experience of them. In any case, Penelope says, uh, uh, or first Odysseus says, it must be because I'm looking pretty gross right now, son. Don't worry about it. Uh, your mother and I will work it out. And Penelope even explicitly says, we have secret signs that we share with each other. In any relationship in which you are the special party to someone, you are the most special person to them, you will obviously know things about them that they have not told anybody, and perhaps that nobody else has noticed because you really pay attention to them if you're uh, a good relationship partner. And uh, they will know things about you that uh, others do not. You will share secret signs between each other. This is why uh, you, it's such a special moment when like, you give each other a look. You're like, and nobody else gets what that look means, but you get it, and that's a special moment between each other. Uh, Penelope claims that she has such uh, signs to generate such mo moments with this Odysseus. And Odysseus says, okay, Telemachus, Penelope, she doesn't like my dirty clothing. And uh, how about this? For the moment, we'll take care of what we need to take care of. And you need to go prepare for retaliation from the families of the suitors. So this is something we haven't really thought through yet. We've killed all these suitors. That was tremendous and difficult. And we did not really expect it. I mean, Odysseus seemed to expect it because he knew Athena and Zeus we're going to be on his side. But uh, I, they've essentially done the unimaginable, the impossible, just like defeating Troy. Four people against 108, very unlikely odds. And yet still, they have somehow won. And yet still, it is not over because those suitors came from leading families, leading families that will want vengeance for their children being unjustly killed, executed by some guy who everybody thought was dead. They're not going to stand for this. They're not going to consider this justice. They're going to show it with pitchforks and swords. And uh, they're going to try and kill Odysseus. And so, how is Odysseus going to keep these families from mounting an army and coming to kill him immediately after dealing with them? Well, that's what uh, has to happen now. So, first things first. Let's keep those families from learning about the deaths of their children until uh, a, a more opportune time. So, what, they're going to have to lie. They're going to have to come up with a ruse. A ruse to trick the, uh, the townspeople because uh, some crazy things have happened in Odysseus' home. He needs to make people think that something different has happened. Not a slaughter, but uh, something else that's sort of loud and can involve things being knocked over. What sort of thing is that? Well, a party. And it makes sense, because what happens at Odysseus is every night, like it's the Great Gatsby's every night. A party. A party with all sorts of uh, layabouts who don't have anything to do, apparently. And so Odysseus ingeniously commands Telemachus to have the liar player, uh, Asphemius, play so that people outside the house think, a wedding, and not a massacre, have occurred. Because, you know, weddings also get sort of uh, drunken and loud and uh, out of control at times. Things like glasses can shatter and plates can fall and tables can be overturned. Uh, you know, some people think that's a good time. In any case, that will keep rumor from spreading too quickly, which will give us time to uh, mount a potential defense. Because uh, these suitors' families are coming. They will be attempting to kill Odysseus. This is a major, major, major problem. Um, so it's like you finish the homework and then you still have a project to do afterwards. No time for sleep. Sorry. The ruse then works. Now, my goodness, Odysseus changes his clothes. Has 
has a bath. And Athena comes down and does for him what she's done for him so many times, particularly, particularly when he was in front of Nausicaa. She graces his looks, and then he sits across from his wife now, finally looking like the man that she knew 20 years ago, the man that left, but she was so sad to see leave, the man that she never thought would return. And he's done with the suitors, and he's cleaned, cleansed the house with sulfur, which means they actually like lit the floor sort of like on fire in order to get rid of uh, all the <laughs> human dead smell. And, uh, and they set a fire in the hearth. It's like everything is now finally as it should be. It's like everything has been purged. The terror of the suitors. All the fleas and the ticks have been removed from Argos' body. And so he's done with the lies that he first met Penelope with, Odysseus. And Odysseus calls Penelope strange. It's the word daimonia. It's where we get the word demon these days. Uh, daimonia used to mean spirit, something that's beyond my comprehension to some extent. It's like you have a strange spirit within you. And we still say that, like you have a noble spirit, an intrepid spirit. You have an odd spirit. You have an odd air about you. The old idea of being that the spirit was tied to your air because when you stop uh, breathing, you often stop living. Um, and so... He calls her odd for not yet embracing him. She's still going to test him. She's very like Odysseus, or perhaps Odysseus is very like her. They're very thoughtful. They're very tricky. They're very testy. She does not want to be tricked by some god or some um, um, stand-in at this point. Because she's been loyal for 20 years, best not to make a mistake at the end. How tragic would that be? And that's where we have to end our lecture for today. We will have our final lecture on this and see that interaction on Thursday.